Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Novum Insightful, where we talk with some of the most interesting people in the DeFi and crypto market. Today, we have uh, one of my great friends, Amber Gadar, who's um, been both in this space, uh, in the DeFi space, and the traditional finance space um, with huge amounts of experience. So, so um, she's probably best known in the crypto DeFi space for her work with Alliance Block, but, but Amber, um, with her PhD in neuroscience background, um, is a, a jack of all trades, able, able to turn a hand to anything. A real pleasure to have you on the Nova Insightful. How are you doing? It's hot in London today, 29 degrees. So <laughs> we're suffering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's strange times. There was also a little crypto market hip- hiccup today as well. Um, would be great to dive into that with you as a trader. But, but um, I guess, what are you up to? You were saying before, um, one of your big items on the agenda is is sort of a a regulatory body, and you're talking with many of the major crypto players. How's that going? Well, it is it is going very well. Um, I think the recent Senate hearings have shown to the DeFi community that we cannot escape regulations. Uh, rather than let it, letting the regulator come and hit us by surprise, I think it is very wise for us to actually step up and uh, build our own self-regulatory authority where we will be working hand-in-hand with regulators, but at the same time, we will be able to take a step back, speak to them, and explain to them what works, what can be applied to DeFi from finance, and what cannot be applied to DeFi. I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people compare blockchain, the blockchain revolution to the internet uh, revolution, you know, internet mobile communication revolution, which brought about the democratization of data. Um, But this arrived in an environment that was a virgin environment with no regulation at all. We had to wait roughly 20 years to start having regulation in the data space. So GDPR was voted in the in Europe or was implemented in Europe in 2018 only. When you think about DeFi, when you think about blockchain and other emerging techs that are here to democratize uh, access to capital, to democratize capitalism, uh, democratize wealth generation, we operate, unfortunately, in a very different environment because finance is very heavily regulated. If you look in the US, credit operations are three times more regulated than the healthcare industry, three times. It is very hard to uh, evolve as quickly as the internet has evolved or as uh, data uh, companies have evolved in the early uh, in the early 2000s because we are already in an environment that is heavily, very heavily regulated. Now, what we need to understand is that regulators are not proactive but regulators regulate in retrospect. So you need to have an event that occurs, let's say in traditional markets, for them to put on a regulation. And so you end up with a a huge amount of regulations that date back sometimes from the 50s that cannot really be applied to a market that is as uh, agile and still in its infancy as DeFi. 
But in the end, the most important thing for regulators are two things, investor protection and market integrity. And it is in our interest to make sure that investors in DeFi protocols and DeFi projects are protected. And it's in our interest to make sure to keep the market, uh, uh, to have the integrity of the market uh, protected. Yeah, it's it's a very intriguing world, right? Like, like the the, I, I mean, I um, got very excited um, midway through last year when when Uniswap version two came out, and a lot of the early kind of DeFi exchanges were getting usable, right? Because we we've been in this space when. Essentially, like I guess the centralized exchange world was very dominant, and the um, and I think the the permissionless um, DeFi world um, is is much more attractive to um, investors who are not sort of your typical traders, right? Like, like because I think it's it it it's harder to rig an AMM or an automated market-making um, operation. They may do funny things, but, but you sort of there is a degree to which the market seems fairer than a lot of exchanges for, for um, people who know what they're doing, right? But I, I would agree and I would disagree. So maybe we need to step out of the box and start looking at... Uh, at fair pricing and start looking at markets in a different way from what we're used to. But if you look at a lot of these, um, a lot of these decentralized exchanges, and it's absolutely not a critic, because as I said, we are in our infancy and we were by trial and error, right? We release version one, then we find out that we can do better, we can change something, make it more efficient. So we release version two and then we, we release version three. Uh, but there are a lot of inefficiencies in DeFi. Even within uh, decentralized exchanges, you need to know how to arm these inefficiencies, but in the end, only a very small percentage of people know how to add these inefficiencies. And this is why I think a few regulators now are, are looking at that because their worry is it is not as transparent, for example, as what we have in a traditional finance. But we need to keep in mind that traditional finance was rigged for many, many years. And we had to go through multiple regulations and multiple crises to start having the transparency that we have now. This is very important because sometimes we cannot ask, you know, it's not that people want to create faulty products. And this is what regulators need to understand. We're not here to create faulty products, but we are at the start of at the start of our industry. And similar to finance, who have made thousands and thousands of mistakes. I mean, even recently, uh, you remember what happened at JP Morgan, the, the, the trading desk at JP Morgan that was uh, blamed for uh, for spoofing gold markets. And this is JP Morgan, right? Where we have a huge compliance team, where we know what the rules are, and there are still errors that are made. So it is unfair to ask of an industry that is as young as us to abide by certain rules. But it is in our benefit to make sure that as soon as we spot 
uh, a mechanism that is not going to be uh, easy to use or easy to arb or easy to benefit, uh, I would say 90% of the population, then we would need to limit it and we would need to amend it to make it to, to make this arb, uh, arbitrage disappear. Because the whole point when we talk about how blockchain is bringing the democratization of capitalism and the democratization of wealth generation is that anyone can have access to it and anyone can have access to, to its benefit without uh, favoring a certain part of the population, which currently would be, you know, the, some of the developers or some of the people that have been working on the, on the, on the protocols. And I guess your biggest call at the moment really sounds like it's for a degree of sort of self-regulation and and for the industry to kind of adopt certain standards. I mean, how how easy do you think it's going to be to win that consensus in quite a fragmented and eccentric industry, right? Well, so usually when I look at the development of the space, I say that the first wave was uh, by very brilliant developers. They have built a brilliant infrastructure uh, that is the blockchain or blockchains. The second wave that we've seen that has started maybe four or five years ago uh, has been led by developers, but mainly by people in, uh, by ex-bankers, ex-traders, ex-financiers, ex-legal, uh, ex-lawyers that have started building products that mimic what we have in, in, traditional, uh, in traditional markets. Um, and this is all good, uh, but the, what we're missing, and which I hope this is what the third wave is going to be, is to have people that are involved in, I don't want to say regulations because it's very, very limited, but people that are involved in ethics and a specialist in, um, in, in, in social studies that need to be involved so we can create governance systems that are actually really equalitarian. The issue that we have now is really being able to create these governance system that actually represents the best way uh, to govern uh, to govern the protocols, which uh, right until today, we do not have. That's number one. Number two, most of the uh, DeFi protocols now are understanding that you cannot operate in a void. The regulators are here. They, However decentralized you are, the regulator can come and cut you off. Unfortunately, for those who wanted to create a, a parallel a financial world, this is not going to be very possible because we will need to abide by the regulations or by not all, I'm hoping not all, but at least by the spirit, if not the letter of the uh, of the of the current regulations to be able to uh, maintain this market integrity. And in my view, to be able to sustain and and save the industry. Yeah, no, fascinating. Um, so in terms of um, obviously like I guess your your journey into DeFi really started with Alliance Block, and and you're still sort of very actively involved in that project. So, sort of how's that going? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's going uh, it's going fantastically well. When we uh, built Alliance Block in 2018, we wanted to build an investment bank that was uh, decentralized, participative, and sustainable. And uh, move forward three years, I think we are almost there. So Alliance Block, to the difference of a lot of uh, projects out there, is not just one product. It's... Uh, it's, it's three products, three main products. So we have uh, a data layer, we have a regulatory and compliance layer, and then we have a DeFi terminal or a DeFi, uh, DeFi layer, which is basically the investment, the investment layer. Within each of these layers, you have multiple products. So, for example, in the DeFi layer, we have an exchange, a decentralized exchange with a minimized impermanent loss that should come out in Q4, uh, in Q4 of this year. Um, in the regulatory and compliance layer, we have what we call trustless KYC AML, which for us are uh, very important in order to allow institutional players to start investing in the very high yields that you have in DeFi space compared to you know, tra traditional finance. Uh, we have what we call a cross-border regulatory and compliance protocol that sits on top of uh, on, on top of any layer, whether it's uh, an alliance block layer or whether it's uh, uh, the the architecture of a bank or the architecture of another uh, of another protocol, uh, we have the data layer that has what we call a data tunnel, which uh, aims to be the oracle of oracles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, no, amazing, and and it's been a really impressive journey and it's been fun to watch you. Um, build up Alliance Block from, I guess, really like a very seed-funded startup, very early, just experimenting with the space with some top finance people with a passion for crypto. Um, and you you really build it very quickly in three years, kind of thing. So, so um, you must be really proud of that. I guess uh, never never one to be uh, under occupied amber you you sort of uh, have also started a sort of um, um, uh, a sort of women's kind of acceleration women's incubator club uh, 200 billion club what what's going on there what's what's that well uh throughout my journey with alliance block i have noticed that there is uh, an unconscious bias, unfortunately, in, in the industry, whether it's in the financial industry, I mean, in any industry, there's an unconscious bias against, against women. Uh, and again, I insist on unconscious. So people do not notice. People will tell you, I'm not anti-female. Oh, why am I thinking? I'm definitely not thinking like that. But it, it is in our unconscious. And even women sometimes have it against, uh, against women. So um, we we were speaking with uh, with some people in the VC industry in the UK, and it came to my attention. There was a report written by Alison Rose, and she's the CEO of NatWest, one of the largest banks in the UK. It's called the Rose Review, I believe. And basically, she was saying if the UK financed women entrepreneurs at par with best-in-class countries not even at par with men, at par with best-in-class countries, we could add 200 billion pounds to the UK economy. 
and we were coming out of uh, right out of Brexit and right out of uh, the pandemic. And well, of course, the UK needs a little bit of financing. And so basically, we're telling uh, we're telling uh, international VCs and UK VCs and the UK government that yeah, well, you can add two hundred billion pound to your economy by financing uh, talented uh, females, uh, female entrepreneur. So we came up with a twelve week training program that really focuses on making uh, making female entrepreneurs VC investable. I think in the Sheryl Sandberg book, there was a point um, where um, she referenced some study, which which always stuck, struck with me that that when a man is assertive and and sort of sort of fills his space and negotiates his corner, um, um, that sort of recognized as being sort of leadership and alpha male and whatever it is. And when a woman does it, it sort of uh, can have, um, is often perceived very negatively by people. And it's a, it's a sort of, uh, um, it's a very funny sort of, and in some ways you, in business, you, you need to do that, right? You can't let people walk all over you. It's, uh, um, but it was fascinating to it me is, that kind it, of... It is quite difficult. And usually I say, the best way, so I've seen a lot of very successful women, um, and okay, in I would say in finance, yes. So those that are successful are usually I describe I, I describe them as an iron hand in a velvet glove. You cannot show the iron hand. You always need to cover it with a velvet glove because if you show the iron hand, then as you said, people will say you're a little bit too bossy or you're a little bit too aggressive, uh, versus saying that you're assertive. So, which is very intriguing and and always lots. But but kudos to you for for supporting. Um, I think in in the crypto space, um, yeah, it could suddenly do with more women and more women being treated more seriously i think um because it is it is um one of the most male dominated arenas that i know um and that includes venture capital and banking right it's probably um in some ways even worse because it's a bunch of programmers behind laptops generally well it, it, you're correct uh But I mean, I wouldn't really blame the crypto industry as a whole. What I would blame is the fact that out of the pool of developers, for example, in the UK, we only have 12.5% of women. So we're already starting from a very low base, right? Out of these 12.5% women, how many of them are in the blockchain space? Even if 20% of them are in the blockchain space, it still represents a very, very small, very small proportion. So obviously, uh, as ever in the crypto market, um, I think Ethereum was down 15% at one point today. The entire crypto market was in a bit of uh, um, turmoil. Obviously, this has come after a huge run, but um, um, sort of what's the what's your take on market volatility and, and where things are going? I mean, it's a it's a sword with a double edge. You can make a lot of money with high leverage, uh, but you can lose uh, a lot of uh, a lot of money as well. Actually, we're starting to see a decorrelation uh, within the crypto asset class, uh, and we we have already mentioned that. Like, 
you know, since since the beginning, everything is driven or has been driven by Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is considered the poster child of crypto, and it's one of the uh, few assets that is really invested by institutionals. But the more and more layer one blockchains start maturing and start rolling out, uh, you're you're going to start seeing a bifurcation that is based on fundamentals. So we believe that fundamentals are uh, a lot of the network data that we have, which is very transparent and, and you can analyze it. So the more these blockchains like the Solanas of the world are going to mature and the more you're going to start seeing uh, dApps being built on them, uh, the more you can expect a, uh, a bifurcation in price. And proof is Solanas back to uh, back to the level uh, of the pre-crash. Uh, pre so I think uh, before we spoke, I think they were back to 187. So Solana recovered uh, completely from the crash. Bitcoin is still hovering around, well, I think we were, what, 44, 45 before calling? But I mean, all in yeah. all, say we expect more bifurcation and more decorrelation within the asset class. But we need to keep in mind that this asset class uh, has been behaving uh, or has been quite correlated to risk on markets. So you always need to be wary of uh, any risk off signal and usually just put on some hedges when uh, when when there's a risk of uh, risk of feel in the market. Yeah, and I think it's. It definitely feels exciting this year. I mean, you mentioned Solana. Um, a lot of people are talking about Polkadot. A lot of people are talking about Cosmos. Um, there's Cardano as well. You, yeah. So there's a whole there's a whole load of groups. Suddenly, you can start building on right outside of Ethereum version one. And the what, what's your take on it? Where where does this go from here? Right. It is a very interesting question. I mean, if I could, if I had a magic, uh, a magic pearl, uh, I would be able to give you a more interesting answer. But you know, it's going. I don't really see it as turning into a battle of uh, a battle of giants or a battle of Goliath, Goliath against uh, against David. Uh, Ethereum has quite a long leeway, a quite a long head start compared to uh, to other blockchains. Uh, especially if Ethereum version 2 is going to be rolled out uh, early 2022, uh, then we can expect Ethereum to maintain uh, maintain its uh, its dominance. Uh, but yeah, you have players that are coming out there like Solana, uh, Cardano, but you don't know what's going to happen. Look what happened to Cardano. Uh, so there was an issue with the concurrency when they were rolling out their smart contracts on the, the new, their, their new DEX, the new DEX that was uh, uh, that was supposed to be launched in testnet. Um, so yeah, sometimes there are surprises that you don't expect. So maybe Solana that looks so fantastic right now. Once you really start building on it, you will be you will be facing problems. Um, and this is why I'm saying. There's a big copy that is speculative in the price because these uh, blockchain are still not fully mature yet. Uh, they're still not finalized yet. So only time, only time will tell. Yeah, amazing. And and it's it's that interoperability approach will be will be very exciting. I think uh, there's a tendency though um, to the blockchain ecosystems themselves to sort of try and encourage that fragmentation, right? That that when you're when you're dealing with one of these particular protocols, especially on sort of non-EVM land, that they're looking to do a bit of a land grab um, 
and and sort of encourage people to move over to their chain exclusively. I mean, what what's your take on that? Is that- My take is, you know, cooperation will win. We are not in a well, we are not in an age of empires anymore where uh, everyone needs to compete with everyone to grab the uh, most land. Uh, in the end, our goal is similar. We are here to democratize capitalism. We are here to democratize uh, wealth generation. Uh, and so we should be working together rather than working against one another. Because if we work against one another, it's not going to help anyone. And and on that very nice philosophical note, um, thank you very much. And uh, I think it's been a really great, wide-ranging conversation. Um, we talked about a lot of the crypto and DeFi market, and I'm sure we'll have you again uh, on another episode of the Novum Insight. Fantastic! Thank you so much, Toby, and have a have a lovely end of uh, end of day. Mm-hmm.